On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Oh, it's party time here at News Corp HQ. Australia have won a game of cricket. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, overnight, Australia finally won a game of cricket, beating the UAE in a T20 game. And joining me on on a great day for Australian cricket, have two panellists who have the unfortunate thing of following almost like the Beatles. Um, I've had Pat Cummins and Gideon Hay, and now I'm back in News Corp HQ, and I've got Joe Barton returning to the show. Joe, how are you? Hang on, are you saying that I'm not up to the same standards as Pat Cummins? Well, Pat um, Cummins and Gideon Hay, pretty hard to... It's like following the Beatles on stage or something. I've not yet played for Australia, but don't rule me out. <laughs> God, never going to happen. And the other panellist is making his debut on the show today. Those of you that are into Supercoach NRL will know Tom Sangster. He's in charge of Supercoach at uh, News Corp. And he's also going to be heading up the Supercoach for the Big Bash this summer. Welcome to the for the first time, Tom. How are you? Yeah, great to be here. And we've just launched Supercoach Big Bash this morning. So if you want to sign up, get on there now. Great to get a plug in early in the show. Absolutely. And you're going to try and convince me to play Supercoach later on. So yeah. listeners, action-packed show today. We're going to review the test series that Australia played against Pakistan. We have got all the week in cricket headlines full of controversy this week. Absolutely drowning in controversy, the world of cricket. Then we're going to preview the upcoming T20 series for Australia and we'll wrap it all up with Can't Let It Go. All right. Well, let's get on the front foot, guys. Australia lost the Test Series to Pakistan 1-0. Australia crumbled to a 373-run defeat in the second Test, which is Australia's fourth worst ever defeat. It's been quite a series of defeats for Australia following on from their loss to South Africa of 492 runs. Now, that means the Aussies have now played six consecutive series in Asia without a win. Will Will we ever win over there again, boys? When are we going to Sri Lanka next? That seems like the uh, the next time we might might jag a win. <laughs> but no, it was, I mean it was a very disappointing series. I think last if we if you want to review, you can go back and hear my predictions from from a recent podcast. And I definitely thought Australia would would win a test. I wasn't sure which one it would be. As it turns out, probably the uh, the second test was half a chance after uh, after the morning of the on day one. But uh, ultimately. Batting not up to scratch and um, some fairly difficult conditions for, for our fast bowlers in particular and they, they couldn't stand up, unfortunately. Not at all. And what was surprising was we were all sort of worried about Shadab Khan or Yazir Shah, but it mm. was Muhammad Abbas that destroyed Australia, took 17 wickets at 10 runs per wicket. He bowled that dangerous reverse swing. I think what made it difficult to face is it swung late, so the mm. batsman couldn't adjust in time. Yeah, the Aussies have a massive problem against reverse swing, and it's funny when you think about the great Pakistani bowlers. Not many of them are actually spinners, even though they play on spinning decks all the time. Look at their great bowlers. They've got Akram, Yunus, uh, Safaz, Nawaz, Shahab Akhtar, Imran Khan. Uh, it's all about the quicks over there. 
Absolutely. So I've divided up um, my assessment of this series into positives and negatives. And I thought because uh, the last podcast was pretty heavy, we'll start off with the positives this one. So here's a few positives I think we can take from the, the series. Well, for a start, it was only a two-test series, so it was short and painful, but very short. Uh, no one was banned for a year on this tour from the Australian <laughs> side. so It's a good change. Good good start. No, we've still got a full squad apart from some injuries. But seriously now, I thought saving the first test where Kawaja and Head and Payne batted out that last five sessions really showed that there was some spine in the team. Most definitely, and I don't think it's any coincidence that Justin Langer, in one of his first games as coach, brought that sort of attitude because that's the sort of player that he was and he's brought that sort of attitude to all the teams that he's coached over the years since he retired. And as I said, no coincidence, and a guy like Tim Payne is a really tough leader as well. Uh, That was one of the great saves of all time. Yeah, you bang on when you you talk about JL. And I know... There was a bit of scoffing at the start when JL came in and was talking about mateship and, and what he wanted to... Elite mateship. Correct. Like, and, and bringing all that sort of back into the Australian team. There was a few people kind of scoffed at that. But I think we saw, when, you know, when you've got Usman Kawaja batting for, what, one and a half days, putting in, arguably, I would say, his best ever test knock. I mean, that, that's the sort of stuff that we really wanted to, to see from this Australian team. And I think if, if Justin Langer is starting to instill that kind of culture back into the Australian team, then it's a successful tour, even if uh, Australia went down 1-0. Yeah, I agree. And I gave us no chance for batting that game out. Absolutely 0%. So it was a, a great surprise that they had the guts and fortitude to survive in those conditions. Another positive was Aaron Finch was okay in his debut. Okay. But, uh, he certainly wasn't the genuine success story you claimed in the Daily Telegraph. Ooh, last week. Sorry, banter. mate. I, um, I thought, um, you know, what you, you've got the you've High got the score of 62. Here. I mean... Four, have you not heard the uh, the Australian selectors criteria? If you score over thirty, you've done your job. He got it, he got there four times out of four. So is that what motivated you to write genuine success story, mate? In, in in a in a series where almost no batsman did well, he got he got to the thirty four times and never went on with he, it. He was our second best batsman. Correct, he was our second best batsman. Average forty five. That's pretty damn good. You take that. Do you think he has a spot though at the top of the order this summer? Do you think he's fitting would fit in opening? My my concerns for that is that he doesn't open for Victoria or typically he hasn't opened for Victoria. So the idea or the thinking there is that he probably succeeds more in the middle order against the slightly older ball. And if that's the case then I don't really want to see him tested in a environment that he's not used to, especially against an Indian team that will be bringing out some pretty handy quicks, probably the, one of the best best pace call we've, we've seen from, from India possibly ever, really. So that would be my main concern. However, there's not a huge huge amount of options around there, especially if Usman is not going to be fit for the first test, which is up in the air at the moment. I think a few of us here would like to see Matt Renshaw given another go. I think Finch has to be in the team at some it, somewhere along the line. He's got to be in the in the top six somewhere. I don't think Renshaw and Finch would be a bad combo and Kawaja back at three when he's fit. The return of the uh, the tortoise and, and the hare. The- Yep. Or the turtle. Contrasting styles. <laughs> Excellent analogy, Joe. All right, so uh, Usman Kawaja notched his first test ton in Asia. The monkey is well and truly off his back. After uh, he, he made that in, he stressed how hard he has worked to improve in spinning conditions. And I guess it kind of shows you should never really write someone off completely. No, well, I thought it was weird that he'd been written off as a subcontinent player 
to start with because he had, hadn't really had many chances over there. The selectors had pegged him as a home ground specialist and I think that was unfair because he had a few fouls over in the subcontinent but they didn't pick him much either. So he hadn't had chances to prove himself. Unfortunately, he is injured but he was by far our best batsman. Uh, obviously got those two scores in the in the first test. Then the second test, he didn't bat in the second innings. And he Strangled got scrangled string, down yeah. the leg side, so the, he got he got pretty unlucky in that test. The toughest way to get out in cricket, surely. <laughs> yeah, it's, easily. It's, it's a nightmare. I, I thought it was thought it was a great show of his mental strength to to really to really come back from you know all this all this tough tough criticism he's copped about how he's played in the in the subcontinent. He really showed a lot of lot of mental fortitude to um to, to get that knock, and you could see what it meant to him, the emotion on his face, but also his partner Rachel, um she was in tears in the stands as well. So wife. Wife, partner, it's the same thing, isn't it, Well, they it, got married, so... Uh, <laughs> and, just and with was... Smith and Warner out, those two, uh, Kawaja really needed to step up as our most experienced batsman. Absolutely, and it was against the country of his birth, which was a great little side note as well. Look, I've subplot. always... Subplot. I've <laughs> always... Uh, I've always rated Uzi Kawaja. Used to, I played with him a few times back in my uh, in my days as a player. Did you get, ever get him caught strangled down the leg side? No, no. <laughs> he scored plenty of tons against us. Don't worry. You were a wicketkeeper, weren't you? I was. Yeah. Excellent. All right. The other positive from this test series: when Lyon took four for nothing on the first morning of the second test, that was just exciting stuff. To see him rip through the Pakistan top order gave us a lot of false hope that we actually might win the series, but just underlined what a good bowler he's become on uh, the subcontinent. Takes him now to 318 test wickets. He's only behind Shane Warne, Dennis Lilly and Glenn McGrath. He's only 30 years old, so... I mean, he could take, what do you think, 500-plus wickets? I mean, he could get up there near Warney, I reckon. But, 700. Um, near, he could get yeah, he close. Could, he could I mean, 38 or something. Are you backing look, him, I mean, you backing him not... to break McGrath's 5.63? Oh, look, who knows? But what I, what I do like to see is that, obviously, he's one of the uh, best spin bowlers we've ever had in Australia. But he's barely been selected in the T20 and the one-day squads. Finally, the selectors have come to their senses and they've got him in a T20 squad. Hopefully he plays one day as well because we have been just battling away with guys like Xavier Doherty way back. And I mean, I rate Adam Zampa, but he's not, he's not a Nathan Lyon. He should be playing all three forms. Big yeah. call. The other positive from this series was Azza Ali... Uh, thinking the ball had gone to the boundary when the he edged ever. one through slips, but the ball pulled up just short, and he decided to have a, a mid-pitch chat with his batting partner, so he was run out when the ball came in. Uh, that really cheered me up after Manus, who apparently could run through a brick wall to play for Australia but still can't ground his bat, uh, was run out the day before. So we, in, we had two in two days, ridiculous run-outs. So it's the best thing. You've not seen a run-out like that since, uh, since Tom Sanks threw in the under-15s, but it was, it was genuinely a, a rare bright spot in that test for, Mate, for me. I, I was genuinely cheering. I, thought I, couldn't, I, I couldn't believe my eyes when I was watching it. You would get dropped from an under-15s junior side for making that sort of mistake, let alone in a test match. I couldn't understand some people saying that maybe Tim Payne shouldn't have run Azarelli out to sort of show that Aussies are nice guys. I mean, if you're a moron and don't know the rules of cricket at test level, bad luck. We're, we're already doing the handshake. I don't know what more you want from us in terms of the spirit of cricket. <laughs> no, there's no more sandpaper. The handshake is enough. That's it. 
what about you guys? Did you have any other positives from the series? Lubbershane's bowling Big was time. sensational. Uh, Bardo and I had a late shift in here on the first day of the first test. We bonded. We bonded. Nothing was doing. Where was uh, I? I feel left out. <laughs> I assume you're on the, I was with you're the, on the couch. Cummins or yeah. Gideon Hay. John, Hol- John Holland was doing absolutely nothing, and then Lubbershane came on, and I called it straight away. Lubbershane will get a threefer in this series, and then boom, <laughs> comes out. He was our second-best bowler behind Nathan Lyon, which we didn't think was going to happen, but he gets a lot of bounce, gets a lot of revs on the ball, and he could be a real option for this number six slot depending on conditions. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Mitch Marsh is, is top of the list at the moment, um, but he's under pressure, and Lubber Shane as a number six on a turning track, say in Sydney or in the subcontinent, is a, a definite option. Unfortunately, his batting wasn't quite there. He, he showed a little bit in the um, the final the final day of the entire series. He showed, he showed that, that he does have that batting in his locker, and that was encouraging. But yeah, certainly his, his bowling, and specifically... He's possibly moved ahead of Ashton Agar in terms of the um, yeah, the spinning cool, cool. the spinning yep. all rounder option. I was surprised by how much control he had because of, often you see with these part time leg spinners they can rip it and they can two long hops every over. Correct, you can you can do you can do the occasional big big turner that gets an edge, but the the bulk of the over is what we'd call a bit of garbage. But um, he was yeah surprisingly good, a lot of control, still got the revs, very encouraging signs. I'd like to see what Warney would uh, would do with him if he had an afternoon. In the nets. Good one. All right. So now from the positives to the negatives. Our batting order is in absolute disarray. (coughs) Players batting out of position. Uh, We'll go through the averages coming up, but they're absolutely horrific. Langer was very passionate after the series about techniques and footwork and issued a challenge for the batters to get better. And he also kept saying how the team needed big performances in first-class cricket to get into the side. Yet Matt Renshaw, who did those big first-class performances, was left out of the first test. And it, to me, it completely stuffed up the batting order because you had uh, the two Marsh brothers batting way too high. I would have much preferred Finch, Renshaw, and then Kawaja at three. And then you could have Shaw Marsh and Mitch Marsh at least not at three and four. Four and five is slightly more palatable. So I thought... That was a big stuff up. And coming into this summer, who knows who's going to play for Australia in the top six. Exactly. And and what's happened to this old adage where basically we used to pick our test teams on statistics first. And then if it came to a sort of 50-50 call between the stats, then you would go on a gut feel. These days, test teams are getting picked on gut feel basically alone. We're picking guys who are averaging 35 or less in the batting order. And the gut feel every meeting. Exactly. Me. That's what annoys exactly. me. Exactly. If, if they'd said, when they backed Hanscom a year ago or so, or two years ago, I wasn't 100% convinced. But keep backing him. If you're going to pick someone and you think they're good enough, give them the support. Yep. The days of uh, you know Matthew Hayden playing eight or nine years in a row, averaging 50 in the Sheffield Shield and then getting called up to the team are well over. And there were so many guys who've done that in their career, including Mark Waugh, Steve Waugh, played a lot of first-class cricket. Justin Langer, the coach himself, did it as well. Mike Hussey, there are so many examples in that era. We don't have the talent that we had back then, but still, you've got to put the runs on the board in first-class cricket and you should be picking the team mostly on stats, secondly on gut feel. So the, with Renshaw, I think last time I was in here, we were talking about Renshaw, and I think we all agreed that maybe it was not a bad idea for him to sit out, but it was only if for it was relating to his concussions. It was like, if it's a fitness reason, fine. 
But they came out the, the, in the lead-up to the first test and said, no, 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 concussion's fine. It's purely down to the fact that he hasn't played enough cricket, as in he got concussed the previous week and missed the rest of that um, warm-up game. That's not acceptable for me. No, he, apparently he, he's he was... too cheeky in the dressing room. I mean, oh, come please. on. He's got runs in subcontinental <laughs> conditions on turning tracks before. I think he should have been there as well. Think about the, the greatest pranksters in Australian cricket history. So there's, there's <laughs> some, you know, Murph Hughes, 200-odd test wickets. I believe Graham McGrath used to play the odd, odd prank. I'm pretty sure Shane Warne would be considered cheeky. I don't think that should be holding you out of the test team. Absolutely not. And, and Langus should be charged with bringing these people into line. Yep. Maxwell, Renshaw, mould them. That's what you're there for. Particularly or, for a young player, you want your young players to be getting out of their comfort zone and expressing their personalities within the team. So, strange decision on Renshaw. All right. So, listeners, we're about to trigger some emotions and I just... Uh, I just want to make sure you're all sitting down or, you know, with somebody because we're about to talk about the Marsh brothers. They have been hammered in the last week and with good reason. Mitch Marsh, 30 runs in the series at an average 7.5. Sean Marsh gets worse, 14 runs at an average 3.5. Yes, they are not mistakes. 44 runs between the two of them is uh, (laughs) just appalling rating. Absolutely. Only once before in the last 100 years has two Australian batters averaged under 10 in the same series. And they weren't brothers last time, Doug Walters and Graham Watson, but the Marsh boys have really had a tough series. So I guess Sean, he averages 35 after 34 tests. Is this the time just to say, look, goodbye, close the door on your way out? Look, Sean Marsh is a bloke who scores zero or he scores 100. He's such a bad starter. I think that we can cut him a little bit of slack because that's the player that he is. Uh, I think we get him on Australian cut decks. Him slack. I'm we get him on Australia. <laughs> we get him on Australian decks and he'll kill it. He's a zero or 100 batsman. You have to take a couple Last of low scores in a row. Last time he was in one of those zero forms. Exactly. He goes through these stretches, but he'll come out and score 100 this Australian summer. Wow. A few I, think, I think at his age, we've seen, we know what he is. We need we need something different. Um, you mates with him or something? No, because you're the only person in Australia backing I know, him. I know, but I rate him. I really rate him. Uh, and they need some old heads in there too. He's great around the dressing room. They need some old heads in there. I think he's a he's one of these guys that either goes large or scores nothing. So you'd have to take the low scores with the big scores. The, the, he doesn't score thirties and forties and fifties. The, the only he scores way, hundreds and zeros. The only way I can see him. Well, the only way I would have him in um, any of the test teams this summer is if Kawaja's out. And that's because, as you say, he's an old head. I can't have too many new well, guys Kawaja in. Kawaja will be out for the beginning anyway. Well, if he is, then that's the only way I can see Sean Marsh surviving in my team. But um, even then, I'd be 50-50. Yeah, goodbye, Sean. All right, Mitchell Marsh averages 26th after 30 matches. Has done better since coming back into the side. I have this real thing with Mitch Marsh that... I think he's a good player who's talented. He'd be a good number six. But then I look at the players that aren't getting the opportunities he's been afforded. So do you think Marcus Stoinis or, as you said, Lubbershane, I mean, if they were given 25, 30 tests at number six, maybe their numbers are going to be significantly better than Mitch Marsh's. So as much as I like Mitch Marsh, at what point do you just go... You know, we've given you enough opportunities, time to let someone else in. It wasn't, wasn't that long ago that he was scoring hundreds for fun. So I think he's worth another crack. You've got to remember, this was played in the UAE on dusty tracks. Bring these guys back for the Australian summer. I guarantee that on their home decks, they'll go okay. I do like Stoinis, though, and I was speaking to Shane Warne at our Supercoach BBL, Name dropper. Supercoach BBL shoot. And 
He said that Stoinis should be playing all three forms for Australia. He predicted that he'll have a light bulb moment this year and stop thinking so much about the game, just go out and play the game. He reckons he'll be at the Ashes and at the World Cup next year. Stoinis kind of in in some ways reminds me of uh, Andrew Simons and how he took quite a long time to warm up to to first-class cricket after he'd had that um, that breakthrough at the 2003 World Cup. Stoinis is, seems to have had that breakthrough at um, in coloured cricket, coloured clothing cricket rather. <laughs> and if he if he can do the same in Test cricket, it'd be if if he could become like our Andrew Simons of the the next generation, a big hitter number number six, big hitting number six who comes in doesn't he's not going to average average eighty or anything, but he's going to come in and hit some hit some long balls um, late in the innings. I'd be excited to see Stoinis in the Test team. Yeah, I agree with you on that one, uh, and Shane Warne, of course. Now, Ma- I've got here for my negatives, Marnus was a shocker of a pick. You guys have said he was a positive. Absol- just- His bowling was absolutely a positive, but and the batting came good in the in the second game, but the batting wasn't there. I just think he looked out of his depth. Brain fades is yeah. his problem with the running between wickets and also at least one catch that he dropped. But then he it does some amazing. Then he does some amazing yeah. stuff as well. Just zoning in and out of the game. Uh, that's that seems to be his yeah, issue. Too, good, good call, Tommy. I think too soon for Marnas, but yeah, has some potential. Another negative was we've come back with a, a load of injuries. Kawaja has a serious injury. Stark has an injury, an injury cloud. Uh, he was fielding it slip for the rest of the second test. Uh, John Holland broke a finger. So, you know, Kawaja and Stark are big losses for the start of the summer if they can't recover. If, 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 uh, if there's no Kawaja at the start of the summer, Australia's in massive strife because without him, the, the batting looks unbelievably thin. And without Stark, I mean, he's the, he's the spearhead strike bowler. So, um, I mean, Stark will be fine for, for the start of the summer. He's just got a, a tight hamstring. I'd, I'd be, be stunned if he, uh, unless we, for whatever reason, push him through the T20s and he breaks down. But I'd, I'd be stunned if he's not there. For the first test, Kawaja obviously the bigger concern. I thought uh, John Holland uh, didn't bowl that well. Came in with a lot of popular support, having done so well for Victoria. But I'm absolutely convinced Stephen O'Keefe is a better bowler in those conditions. Oh, I'm, I thought I was the only person who thought that. I've been saying in the office for a long time and getting a lot of pushback that Socky O'Keefe should be there. And the only reason he's not there is that he's done a few crazy things on the piss recently. And that seems to be the only reason that he's not in that team. Look at his statistic. They're absolutely incredible. And as I've said before, selectors have forgotten about statistics. Statistics used to be the number one thing that we picked the teams on, and they've totally forgotten and going on gut feel. Socky O'Keefe is not an exciting bowler to watch, but he asks a question with every ball. His stats are great. Keeps it tight. Experienced in those conditions. Experienced in those conditions. He's done it before in, in India. I reckon he is our second spinner by a long way ahead of John Holland. And then next, or ahead of John Holland, is Marnus Lovershane. <laughs> John Holland's stats at uh, Shield level are also extremely good. They um, are good recently, they, they, yeah. stack, they stack up very well, even against um, Steve O'Keefe, but I think we've seen the last of him at test level. I, I don't think he'll be getting another chance at 31, or yeah. however old he is now. Why do, I, you I take a, it. why do you take a flight bowler over to the UAE? That's what blows my mind. You don't get wickets with flight over in the UAE. You get it with spin and bounce. And he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. And you need a straight you need a straight ball, which is what Saki O'Keefe has. And you look now, if we'd picked our best squad, Pakistan weren't that good, although they smashed us in the second test. You know, we were right in that game. So um yeah, I would say that was a big opportunity lost for Australia. Any negatives out of the series before we move on? Well we we touched very, very briefly on um on Mohammed Abbas and how dangerous he was and that kind of nibbling style that, that he has and it 
definitely reminded me of how much we struggled with um, Vernon Flander in the South African series. And it just seems like this is this is a massive issue for, for, for Australia's batting. We know that we can't play spin, but apparently we can't play medium pace either. If it, if the ball moves an inch, our, our batsmen are in, in no man's land. They get trapped They get trapped on the stumps. They get nibbling nibbling balls away to the keeper. It's a big concern for me. If, if we're only able to play 140 Ks on bouncy wickets, our batsmen aren't getting tested enough. Yeah, agree. All right, so that was our positives and negatives from the Australia v. Pakistan Test Series. A massive shootout now for Test Spots. Um, So we're going to, in the next segment, wrap up the Sheffield Shield scores where there might be a few people knocking down the door. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but before we take a break, I want to remind you all, if you can subscribe to the show on whatever app you listen to the show on, uh, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Player FM. So if you can also rate and review the show on one of those apps, apps that's a great way of people uh, finding the show and also spotify is a great way to listen to podcasts so if you're looking for a, a place to listen to your podcast spotify might be something worth considering all right we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with the week in cricket headlines Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered the News Corp cricket podcast We're with Tom Sangster and Joe Barton <laughs> And we have the week of cricket headlines brought to you by Sydney's The Daily Telegraph. Let's start off with a ticket scam. Angry cricket officials have launched an investigation after scalpers have started buying big bash tickets and to then on-sell them on, like, Viagogo or Ticketmaster. It shows how popular the BBL, but it's a big concern because one of the attractions of the Big Bash is cheap tickets. I think it's great. I think it's fantastic because this sh- if you've got a scalping scandal in your game, you know that your comp has made it. <laughs> this would not have happened in the BBL two years ago, three years ago. It doesn't happen in the Shield, I can tell you de- that Yeah, much. yeah, definitely not, definitely not a decade ago. You wouldn't have ever, never thought of this. So it's good news. It's good news for cricket in Australia when, and the Big Bash. When was the last uh, A-League ticketing scandal? Exactly. As, 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 the, <laughs> exactly. as the main rival to cricket in the, as a summer sport. I, I would just recommend if you want to get tickets for the Big Bash, just buy them from the... The reputable main size. They're cheap anyway. So or yeah. become a member. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, join the Sixers. All right. Now let's let's uh, wrap up the Sheffield Shield. The first round is done and dusted. Uh, Victoria flogged Western Australia in Western Australia. Marcus Stoinis, who we talked about, scored eighty and took four wickets. So look out, Mitch Marsh. And then Victorian Will Pekowski smashed. 243 of 311 balls, following on from a big ton at the back end of last season, starting to really live up to the the billing of being a super talent. But I just cannot believe anyone would even consider playing him in the test side this year. It's way too soon. He's still recovering from these concussion issues. I would absolutely let him do really well this Shield summer. And then if you really think he's... Want to get him in the side? Take him to England next year. Yeah, I'd give him. I'd give him another shield, another full season um, before we really want to push him into that next level. Um, certainly, very, very exciting talent, especially because his two hundreds have both been big, big tons. So we've got two hundred forty three here, one hundred eighty odd last year. That's what I mean. That's that's what Justin, Justin Langer has said several times. Not only does he want to see centuries, he wants to see some big boys. Like he wants to see you go one forty, one fifty, big, big, big hundreds. That's what. That's the key to to getting into the Australian team. So he's going about it the right way, but give me another 12 months and um, 
and then we'll see how how uh, he can get into the team. Yeah, at least twelve months. He's only had six first class games, so he's definitely got to get a lot more runs on the board. And as I said, you know, guys like Hados were doing this sort of stuff for ten years before they got into the test team, or before they got back into the test team, rather. So, yeah, definitely give him at least a summer. I wouldn't even take him to England. You want to debut a guy like this in his uh, home conditions. We've deb- I don't know why we debut so many people overseas. It's ridiculous. If you've got a good young player, you're going to wreck him by debuting him overseas. Debut him in his home conditions. There's a couple of big names that might be uh, becoming available for, for the Ashes as well. So <laughs> exactly. there might, there's two, two batting spots that might not might dry up before he's... Uh, Just he's watch for our colleagues down south in the Herald Sun start to push the Pekofsky agenda, that Victorian bias. Uh, Tremaine, someone that should have been in the UAE, nine for... In the next game in the Shield, Tasmania exacted revenge against Queensland after losing the Sheffield Shield final to them. Tassie smashed Queensland, dismissing them for just 93 in the second innings. Alex Dolan scored a century. Once uh, Australia's Forgotten Man was once our number three, very much supported by Ricky Ponting, uh, but really hasn't gone on with it. And then we saw Matty Wade score twin 50s and Jackson Bird 10 far. So it's like the... The, the forgotten men of Australian cricket have, have smashed it for Tasmania. Yeah, absolutely. With Dolan, averages 33.8. He's another in, feast or famine. He's, he's yeah. kind of similar to your description of Sean Marsh. He yeah. either gets single figures, even in the shield, he gets single figures or double tons, it, it seems, half the time. And at 33, so I don't think he'd be a guy to bring into the test no. team. Great to see Jackson Bird get a 10 for though. I rate Bird particularly at home. Was I think that was that game at Bell Reeve. He loves bowling at Bell Reeve. And I think it was the, up and, in Queensland. And, right. Oh, at the, at the Gabba, yeah. Yep. And he bowls at the stumps. He asks questions every ball and every he doesn't bowl a straight ball either. I rate him. He's been really hard done by. As have a few people like Trent Copeland, who's on this list, and Chad Sayers as well. These guys who don't bowl quick, uh, but they're a bit like the Vernon Philanders that you're talking about. Never bowl a straight ball uh, and never give you anything to hit. Yeah, Jackson Bird was the, the spare quick um, earlier in the year on tour with the Aussies, and he just seems to sort of come in when they need him, carry the drinks, and then he's put out to pasture again. It's a very, very hard squad to crack, though, when you've got Cummins, Stark, and, and Hazelwood ahead of you. I mean, it's, it's a pretty formidable trio. to the, UAE, to the... though. Well, they weren't there. All right. Uh, New South Wales and South Australia played out a thrilling draw with new South Australian skipper Jake Lehman uh, helping to bat the match out. As you mentioned, podcast panellist on this show and one of your super coach buddies, Tom, copes all round us, smashed 55 not out. And trust me, he will relive every shot of that when we get him back in the podcast and took nine wickets for the game. Now taking 300 first-class wickets. Exceptional performance. Good on him, man. He told me over the off-season that he went to the optometrist just for a, a regulation checkup. The optometrist, to, to much to his shock, said, you need glasses. So he's got the glasses on, and he's come out and absolutely smoked them this year. And Does he, he bat in glasses or contacts? He bats in contacts, I think. So he was really, the, the, the doctor said to him, look, your eyes aren't that bad, but if you're trying to track really fast-moving objects, mm-hmm. it could be a bit of an, a, a problem for you. And so he's, he's got As that cricketer, sorted out. That, that he's got that sorted out. How long, how long has he needed now, glasses for, you reckon? Well, he doesn't know. That's the thing. But he's been stinking it up with the stick for about the last two or three years. This could have, cruelled his, could have cruelled his test career. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. The next headline, this is written by yours truly, Shane Warne is full of hypocrisy. So I was triggered this week because 
Shane Warne continually bashing Steve Waugh for being selfish, being just everything. Some of it really childish stuff. But the main thing he kept saying was he was a selfish player. Yet in the same book, Shane Warne has written how during a test match, he went out and spent so much time with the young lady that he was unable to play the next day during a test match in the 2005 Ashes. Now, to me, that is a lot more selfish than anything you've said Steve Waugh did. So, guys, what do you think? I want to see Steve Waugh rock up at one of Shane Warne's book signings <laughs> and just see what happens. Uh, it's, it's flogging a dead horse about nearly two decades on. The, the, the Warne war feud, is, uh, it's been done to death for mine. I, I, don't, I don't get any joy or perverse pleasure from it. But, but doesn't um, Warne look like an idiot when he keeps going on with it? I mean, Steve Waugh's a legend. You, you, can't, you can't find anyone to say a bad word about him. And, you know, maybe Shane Warne should keep his trap shut. And, and be careful because you can't call someone selfish and then say, oh, I couldn't bat in the middle of a test match because I was with some woman all night. I mean, it's hypocritical to the max. Which, which one's more damaging to the game, the, the staying out all night or batting for reading? I'm, I'm not, I'm, I know which one I'm uh, leaning towards. I'd, I'd have Steve Waugh batting for my, my life. But they're both, they're both legends in my mind. And they've, between the two of them, won a hell of a lot of games for Australia. That was so diplomatic. They're very well diplomatic. Done, I don't want to get Warnie offside. <laughs> I want to get Warnie on the podcast, and I'm going to ask him. I'm going to actually ask him, watch, hear the phone hang up or something. Anyway, he's fronting up super coach, so go for that one. Get All him right. in. Get him in. The Australian women's team is in Singapore. They've just beaten Pakistan in three one-day internationals. Elise Perry achieved playing 100 ODIs for Australia. Congratulations. Uh, Meg Lanning scored 124 in the second match of that series. And Elisa, Elisa Healy scored 97. So I think the Australian women's team is heading to the World T20 in fine form. Bode, bodes very well. I mean, massive victories. In, Bring it home. <laughs> massive victories across the board in that series against Pakistan. I think they won the third. One third team we by. can be really proud of. Well, there's got to be one, doesn't there? But um, no, I mean, they are, they are a fantastic team and there's been no, no controversy there. So they're, they're uh, a shining light at this point. It is controversy time. Cricket has been rocked by a series of allegations again through an Al Jazeera a documentary. Uh, in the latest documentary, they say that there are doubts around 15 games in all three forms of the game. There have been criticisms about how uh, real these allegations are by Al Jazeera. What do you two think of, of the allegations? I, I tend to subscribe to the... Uh, I was, Michael Vaughan got on Twitter saying something along those lines, which is basically put up or shut up. If you've got... If you have evidence which implicates, you know, real people or these teams or these games, come to the ICC, give it across the board. They can hand down their punishments and then we can move on. All this kind of hearsay, oh, we've got this from potentially six years ago... No names, no players named, all that sort of stuff. I, I'm not having it. It's I need I need some concrete evidence before I'm going to start believing it. And I know this is wrong for somebody from one media organisation to doubt the uh, credentials of another media organisation, but it's been going on for what feels like a year now. So, mate, put up or shut up, and, and until then, I'm not going to believe it. Tommy, what do you think? I think Joe's put it perfectly. All right, so I'm going to push back a little. I think if you think none of these are true, you had you got your head stuck in the sand. Which is not what I said. I, what, I, I truly do believe that there there could, of course, there could be there could be controversy and, and nefarious behaviour around the world of cricket. But the the uh, there needs to be substance to the allegations. Otherwise, we can't take it seriously. And and if there isn't any substance to it, then it makes all the actual 
factual bad behaviour that's going on, it kind of lessens that. So you, you, you go with your next point, sorry. No, I just think that there has to be some substance to it. But I do agree with you in that they, they throw around a lot of accusations at the English and Australian teams without much evidence. But, th- I mean, there are things coming out. So Danish Canaria uh, went on Al Jazeera and admitted his role in match fixing. It was in an attempt to try and play the game again. But he, he did sort of point out how it could happen and how it does happen. In another one, very disturbing, Sanath J. Saria is in trouble because he won't hand over his mobile phone to ICC investigators. So there seems to be, in my opinion, some trouble coming out of Sri Lanka. Al Jazeera have uncovered some of it. The ICC are now acting on it. I think that although I agree with you that some of the stuff coming out of Al Jazeera might be a beat up, you have to think that underneath it all, there's some substance to it. And it's very, very disturbing. You I mean, Jay Saria is a legend of the game. He's a, he's a player who uh, really got me in love with cricket in the 96 World Cup and the, the way that he and Ramesh Kalwitharana, um, the, the way that they, those two exploded in that World Cup. But, they, sta- um, they started that going hard in the first 10 overs thing. And I'd, I'd be devastated if he was if he was a player who was wrapped up in, in this, sort of, um, this sort of activity. But... I mean, there must be people in a lot of these countries, but look at Sri Lanka that doesn't have the wealth in the game that India, Australia and England has, but yet all these big teams too are there. I mean, if you can fix a pitch or get to a groundsman or get to a player, then there, there's opportunities there to fix a game. So I just, or fix a, a set as they call it. So yeah, I just think it's very worrying and um, just just gives me further reason to be cynical. It is very possible. And, and I think there's nobody who is naive enough to think that Cricket is a sport. I mean, I think all sport is susceptible to to this sort of activity. But Hansi Kanye. Well, yeah. I mean, we we know that cricket is is susceptible. But Lou I'm Vincent. Not, but I don't appreciate the idea that you can just throw Muhammad Amir. There's plenty of them, mate. But yeah, the, the idea that cricket. Well, if you if you start throwing these these accusations at cricket, it brands the entire sport and throws a lot of mud at the sport. When, in my opinion, unless there are actually concrete evidence, I don't think cricket should have to wear that. Yeah, well, I just don't think the ICC is doing enough. So, you know, it's always other organisations that uncover problems in cricket. So, The last cricket headline, and this is from Nick Holt from the London Telegraph, a sexual conduct charter aimed at cracking down on harassment will be introduced at the Women's World T20 next month as the ICC reacts to a spate of cases in the sport. The ICC has been made aware of incidents including a female team physiotherapist being sexually harassed, inappropriate comments by a player to a female journalist, sexual harassment of a female player by a male coach, and get this, the Sri Lankan women's team, a player, had reportedly been forced to perform sexual favours to stay in the team. I mean, it's all, it's very all happening disturbing. in Sri Lanka at the moment, isn't very it? Very disturbing stuff, isn't it? It is, it is. And look, it's hard to comment on this sort of stuff when... Uh, you don't know the details and um, there's you know, defamation and things like that. But it's important but to have a charter that they're putting together because now we're seeing the growth of women's cricket and you know we see lots of women touring around with even men's sides as physiotherapists. Yeah, perhaps disappointed that you even need to have that charter, but, but definitely good that it's um, being put in place to, to make sure everything's above board. We're going to take a quick break. That was the week in cricket headlines of Stumped, Bardo and Tom. <laughs> Um, I, I just want to um, let you all know that throughout the summer we will be answering, answering questions. Uh, so if you want to email me, 
It's Oz Cricket Pod, A U S Cricket Pod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Oz Cricket Pod, or I'm on Twitter at A Menace. So any questions, shoot them through. That right. applies to uh, Glenn Maxwell and Shane Warne as well. If yeah, I exactly. Want to send any questions through. All right, we're going to be back oh, in a moment, and we're going to wrap it up with by previewing the T20 series and with Can't Let It Go. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Men is Tom and Joe here. And before we get into the rest of the show, Tom, you were talking about the BBL Super Coach launch today. I have a real problem in that, you know, I'm a busy man. I've got a just walk. just one. <laughs> I've got, I'm a busy man. I've got kids. Uh, I've got this podcast to manage. I've got a business to run. How am I going to fit in Super Coach, and why? Why should I play Super Coach? Well, I can reel off a bunch of things. Uh, first of all, it's $55,000 prize pool, so that's a fair bit of coin. Did News Corp, like, New, News Corp employees is stumped in inverted up, commas? Well, I don't – how official are you as a News Corp employee? That's we're, – we're, we're full-time. We can't win. We still, yeah, have, to, we still have to let you in the building, but uh. – um, Yeah, well, you don't, have a, you don't have a swipe pass. So, so maybe I, I could you win could, the cash. I reckon there's probably a way you could win the cash. So we need to run this by the, the powers that be because when we, we I win, I don't want to have the cash just pulled under Exactly. My... That would be absolutely devastating. You, you may as well not play if you win and can't get the cash. Absolutely. But we, we're going to get a league going. We'll get you involved in the league. It's all about the banter – at the mateship and uh, I need mate, some mates, so. mate, we'll get we'll get you involved. We'll get you involved, and you will come around to fantasy sports. You will be addicted. You will be addicted by, oh, by about the third or fourth game of BBL. Great! I saw that Lamashane, uh, the Nepalese bowler, signed for the Stars. That's a big one. I haven't seen that. Uh, no, but well, there's a. There's I'm already a, one step ahead of you. Yeah, super right. Coach. Well, there's. A, we'll, we'll get awesome. him at it, and there's a 17 Counting year old. Money already. Ex- exactly. This is why you should sign up for Supercoach because your knowledge. I know a lot of listeners are in the same position as I am. That it, they're worried that they're going to have to be sort of buzzing around fixing their team all the time. What What are the logistics? Well, look to go really well. And to win the prize, you probably need to watch most of the games and do a lot Easy. of research, which you do anyway, so I'm, and I'm do a lot here, of research in I'm between. Sitting, I'm sitting here looking at Manners going, you're going to watch every single second of the Big Bash this year. There is no person more qualified to get involved. Ex- mate, just have your computer there. You've got the two-screen experience, maybe your phone as well, three-screen experience. Uh, so as you're watching the game, you can watch the points tick over for the players in your team, plan what you're going to do for next time. If you're watching all the games anyway then you may as well do this. It's not what, that much more. What else more. are you doing while you're watching the games? Uh, nothing. You're right. Uh, look, I'm in. I think I'm going to have to do it. And we'll I need get you cash, involved. So. We'll, yeah, we will convert you and you will be an addict by and where about round the, three. What about the listeners? Where should they go to sign up? Supercoach.com.au. You get onto it there. That simple. Supercoach.com.au. Thank you, Tommy. Now, the T20 series for Australia starts this week. They're playing three matches against Pakistan. And it's actually an important series, I think, for the team, mainly because we're just in this funk of losing. I mean, you take out the win against UAE in the last T20 game. Australia have just been on this consistent run of losses going right back to South Africa, then into England. So it would be a confidence boost to actually get a win. Uh, If you're trying to keep up with the T20 squad, it's very hard. Not in this squad from last one. Travis Head, Nick Manson... Jai Richardson, Kane Richardson, Stoinis, Swepson and Wildermuth, they're all gone from mm. the last time the T20 side. And in comes Mitch Marsh, Nathan Coulton-Isle, Chris Lynn, Ben McDermott, Peter Siddle and Adam Zampa. 
what do you think of this T20 side? Quite exciting. To have this is this is the best I've ever seen. This is the best, most balanced Australian T20 side I think I've ever seen us pick. Wow, it's, it's fantastic. Big Honestly, call. Bardo with the big call. It's it's rewarded some, some genuine success story. Well, it's, yeah. Well, I hope there is a couple <laughs> out of this too. There's, it's, it's rewarded some good um, good form in the in the JLT Cup. In Ben McDermott got a couple of tons, so he's been given a go. It's got some big hitting with guys like Chris Lynn, Maxi, Darcy Short. And there's plenty of power at the top of the order. Um, you know, Finch, of course, Finch. as well. That's how about that for a top four? I mean, like that's, that's, that's incredible. You've, you've got spinners. Peter Siddle gets rewarded for an excellent big bash last summer. Look, I'll, I'll look across the board, and you know, you got Mitchell, um, Mitch Stark's probably not going to play, which is fair enough. Andrew Ty, great, great death bowler um, of some note in the IPL this year. Just so many options in this team, and yeah, I'd. I have no no fault no flaws in this team whatsoever. I can't really think of anybody who missed out except maybe Stoinis, but um, even then, look, I'm I'm very happy with that team. Yeah, I think Stoinis should be there, but I agree with you. It's a pretty strong team. Great to see Darcy Short get some runs uh, recently because yeah, some runs he has. Yeah, I mean he has struggled. He struggled in the IPL after that awesome BBL that he had. Struggled in the IPL on the turning decks. Thankfully, he got some runs on I a turning deck. I can tell you pouring over stats for Supercoach. Yeah, I read a headline, and it might have been in one of our papers, but saying that Darcy Short might be considered a test player. I mean, no. <laughs> who's writing this stuff? Mate, who's, yeah, Don't you edit at the website, Barter? Yeah, I but mean, how I'm, could my, Short ever play test cricket? My concern for you is that you're going at one of the greats again. It's Shane Warne who suggests that Darcy Short should be opening for Australia oh, you, this You summer. should definitely get Warney on this show. Me and Warney are starting a rivalry. It's a sort of unequal balance, <laughs> though, because someone has a lot of I credentials. Do, I do tend to agree with you on this one, because Darcy Short averages... Under twenty four in first class cricket, he's only had he's played single figures of first class matches. So I think um, Warney Warne compared him to Warner and Finch and said, "Like, look at these guys, T twenty superstars who have made the step up to um, to first class cricket and Test cricket." I'm not sure that Darcy Short is quite there yet. I'd love to see him um, score some runs at domestic level and. Yeah, I think Warney's been up all night when he's making some of these statements <laughs> a la 2005 Ashes. One thing I like about this team, and I mentioned it before, Nathan Lyon being in there, I hope it is not just because this game or these games will be played on turning decks. We really need him in Australia for the T20s. And he, he is a short-form player as well as a long-form player. We've made massive mistakes in the past by playing guys like Xavier Doherty ahead of him in short-form cricket. I think Nathan Lyon is the best spinner in the country in all forms of the game. Get him in for the one-dayers, the T20s, and, of course, the test matches as well. We've lost so much time with Nathan Lyon not being in these short-form games uh, for the last probably six, seven, eight years. Yeah, I like a leg spinner in the T20 side. It's but he bowls almost like a leg spinner, and then he gets so he's much spinner, top Tom. spin. In that he gets, but Tom, he's, he's an off spinner. He is, but he's he not like... the front of the hand. He's not your normal... Do you know the difference? I do know the difference, <laughs> and he is not your normal off spinner in that he bowls with a heap of revs on the ball, with a heap of top spin as well, which is what you need in these T20 and, games. That's what gets wickets mm, in these T20 and him with games. a Zampa and a, or a forward arm in the team, having those two spin options, it's a pretty handy attack with yep. some all-rounders and some fast bowlers. I like uh, Nathan Coulton-Isle coming back and Billy Stanlake. With Stark carrying this injury, they might be looking for a third quick uh, for the first test against India. So if Nathan Coulton-Isle can get fit, he'll be knocking the door down. And uh, before we wind up the show, I just want to touch on one thing about... We're getting into that confusing period for the selectors where they're looking for the team for the first test against India. There's a lot of white ball cricket coming up. 
there's this T20 series in the UAE, then the one-day side is playing South Africa at home. It's going to be hard for the test selectors to, to pick a team based on white ball form. I mean, maybe Sean Marsh is going to play one-day cricket. Uh, if these players do well in white ball cricket, how do you weigh that up against someone doing well in shield cricket? This Just- is where Renshaw has got a massive advantage, I believe, because he'll be playing the long-form cricket, whereas the other guys won't. However, Justin Langer has already come out and said <laughs> runs are runs if you score them in uh, Shield or if you score them in one-day cricket, they all count. So runs is a currency. He, he's basically said if, if Sean Marsh scores runs, or if, I mean, he's, he's pretty much said that he's definitely going to get picked against uh, in, in the one-days. If he scores runs there, I'd say he's going to be uh, So Langer's theory was with Sean Marsh that he scored two centuries in the last one-day series yep. and that therefore you know, he deserves his spot in the one-day side. And if he scores runs in the one-day side, he deserves his spot on the test side, even though he hasn't scored runs in the test team. Yeah, I don't agree with the second bit, but I agree with the first bit. A great short-form player. You've got to remember, he's a better short-form player than he is a, he, a There's test not, not many, many slips as well, so he can nick and nudge all he wants. Exactly, and as long as he gets past those first sort of 15 balls, mm. which is tough for him, he's basically the worst starter we've got in terms of a front-line batsman in Australia. Except for maybe but his brother, I don't except know. Except for maybe his brother, but... You've got to remember that these, this poor run that he had was in subcontinent or in turning conditions. Has he paid you off or something? In turning conditions. You get him in Australian conditions and he will score runs. I hope so. There's, who is better that you would bring in for Sean Marsh? Well, I don't want to start naming my team, but... He, uh, I mean, he averages over 40 in first-class cricket. Yeah. No, I don't think Maxwell, any of our current... Hanscom, does Rachel. any of our current... Well, Glenn Maxwell definitely averages over 40 in first-class cricket. I'm, I'm and he's sure. not... Yeah, and so he's not even there. All right, so that's the conundrum for the selectors, trying to piece together the teams from the multitude of uh, formats of the game that are going on. All right, listeners, we're coming to the end of our show, and I've brought back one of my favourite segments called Can't Let It Go. It's one of the real hits of the show where I ask the panellists to pick one thing that they can't let go from the week in cricket. All right, so let's kick things off. Bardo, what can't you let go of? Uh, the, the ben thing Horn. That, the thing that... <laughs> well, he's back in the country now. My good mate. Um, the, the, the thing that really stuck with me from the, um, from, the two tests, or from the two test series in Pakistan was just how tired Tim Payne, Tim Payne looked by the end of it. He shouldered arms to a fairly you know, innocuous Muhammad Abbas delivery, came in off the, off the seam and you know, bent back uh, off stump. But it was the thought, thought, you know, decision-making of a fairly tired man. I think the first test and saving the first test and doing all that work behind the stumps and captaining the team, it just looks like the workload really took its toll. And by, by the end of it, I think he was a pretty tired man. He needs a little bit of a little bit of rest and recuperation before the before the home summer. Do you think he should continue on as a test skipper? Uh, in the short term, yeah. I don't know who the next option is. I think we've discussed this in the past. I know that Steve Smith is eligible to become test captain a year after his ban ends, and I wouldn't be surprised if Payne gets through to that. That would be that would be fine. But um, but even by that point, Payne may not even be the number one keeper in the country. So it just might be a case where he's he's filling a few gaps there but um but he's doing a superb job um at that on that on that front as well tommy sangster ex first grade wicket keeper what do you think what can't you let go of in this I, week's i cricket? loved watching lloyd pope the red-headed leggy from south australia uh come out and bowl that incredible googly on his first class debut for his first ever wicket in first class cricket only 18 wicked wrong and gives it a massive rip 
and no one signed him up for a big bash team yet, but I think that someone will because obviously you need good leg spinners in 2020 cricket, and in terms of young ones coming through, he's got to be right at the top of the list. Can I tell you who, you, tell you who he reminds me of? And it, this is relevant to the uh, to Big Bash, if there's any Big Bash coaches who, who are listening in. He reminds me of Rashid Khan, similar similar in that both of them have got fantastic wrong-ins, mm. um, possibly wrong-ins that are essentially their stock ball. They bowl three or four every over. Um, and Rashid took took the BBL by storm last year. I think he was top. Can bowl a bit faster though, yeah. doesn't he? Does, Pope? But, but Pope Pope just definitely gets his pace up. And they're like Rashid, Rashid's next level of development. But um, if you think about back twelve months, maybe uh, maybe Pope is is twelve months away from from doing the sort of stuff that Rashid was doing. He might be maybe get him in early. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he will be cheap in Supercoach if you're looking for him. Bottom dollar, he'll be around forty two thousand dollars. How much is Sean Marsh in uh, Supercoach? Uh, They're giving him is, away. He, no, he's he's relatively expensive because he's got such a good record in the short form of the game. Yeah. I've yeah. got a cracker of a can't let it go. I can't let go this stat that there were forty five commentators signed for Channel Seven of Fox Sports, and three have been retained by Channel Nine. Michael Clark hasn't got a gig in any of them. There's 48 commentators employed. He's not in that top 48. I mean, that's a former Australian captain. He was heading up Channel 9's coverage last year. Now can't get a job. Basically 50 commentators ahead of him. Unbelievable. Yeah, I guess they've run the stats on his popularity and it's not... They have uh, these focus groups, do you think? Oh, they absolutely do. And he hasn't rated well with the public, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't don't know what the... um what the discussions are in Channel 7 and, and uh, Fox Sports, but maybe he's asking for too much money or there must, there's got to be something behind it. Yeah, I don't think it's money. It's just purely down to uh, popularity. But contest. I've actually got an option for him that, you know, New South Wales stream a lot of their Shield matches and they're looking for commentators. I might be, you know, doing the odd session, but maybe I could ask the guys in New South Wales cricket if I could let Pup on to keep his sort of commentary skills up. Would you put in a good word? Put your reputation on the line for Pup? Well, I think his reputation would speak for himself, but yeah, I wouldn't. No, you're right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners, that's it for Cricket Unfiltered this week. Joe Barton, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much for having me. I'm looking forward to a long summer. Tommy, great debut. I mean, you smashed a quick 50 there. Thank you. Not out. Still going. Still going, yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Next week. Absolutely. All right, listeners, this has been the Cricket Unfiltered podcast by News Corp. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. We'll be back next week with another show.